going to talk about trauma um, and how we can become a trauma-informed church. Um, and I hope that you all will go and keep spreading this um, to other people that are in your church. Um, but my background is in rec therapy, so I'm a licensed therapist. Um, I worked in psych units in the hospital, working with a broad range of um, individuals with trauma, with abuse, um, just lots of mental illness. Um, and then I moved away from that job and I worked with children that have been um, abused and they were in our residential program for psych um, and behavioral health. And so I have a background in that. Um, when I moved to Louisville, I moved to work at Scarlet Hope um, and I was able to be their program director. Now I am not because I'm taking care of my little baby. Oh my little baby. Um, and so I'm not there anymore, but working with um, Scarlet Hope the last three years has given me a lot of experience with working with women specifically in the sex industry, but also just trauma victims or family, bartenders, managers, the whole array of people that we've met in the industry in the strip clubs, they all have had abuse. And um, being able to work with them and just care for them in different ways has been extremely eye-opening for me and it's given me this passion to help people learn how to care for them well and so that is why I am doing this training now and so I hope that you enjoy it these are some of our learning objectives I'm oh, sorry I keep thinking I'm switching it um, so what I want you to get out of today is what is trauma understanding what it is um, the ACE study which we're going to talk about um, if you don't know what that is, it's a really awesome study, and so we'll talk about that. What is trauma-informed care? So you may have heard that. It's kind of like the new um, lingo these days, and you'll hear it a lot. But how we can become a trauma-informed church is the last objective. So what is trauma? Oh, you can you see this? Okay. Kind of. It's really small. Um, but so trauma is any event that has been in a person's life that could... Um, cause a disturbing or uh, distressing situation experience. So there's two types of um, trauma disorders. PTSD, which you've probably heard of, and then complex PTSD. So complex is if they have had multiple traumas um, and for a long period of time. So it's not just one event. So a natural disaster happens, that's one event, and someone can have PTSD from that. But someone that has had abuse for years and it's ongoing and they've had... Um, you know, bullying at school and lots of different things, that's complex trauma. So there is a little bit of a difference um, in that. Trauma affects the developing brain. So when someone experiences trauma, especially as a child, their brain literally is affected. It, it stops growing, it stops developing, which is why when children are impacted by trauma, their development is very, very delayed. Um, they all of the neurons and everything stops working like it's supposed to and it really affects the brain. In a minute I'm going to show you a picture of a brain of a child that has had trauma and a child that has not had trauma and the even just the reactions of things are completely affected. Um, trauma increases risk of high-risk behaviors, so smoking, drinking, substance abuse, involvement in risky sexual activity, all of that is heightened when someone has experienced trauma. 
Trauma affects 70% of adults. 70% of adults have reported, so this is just what has been reported, which is not very common, um, at least one traumatic event in their life. That's a lot of people. That's many of us. You, Like Rochelle said, many of you may have had some kind of experience that has been traumatic to you. Um, and as we talk about this, it could bring up some triggers. So if that happens, please let us know or grab one of us and just talk to us after. Um, we completely understand it's a very sensitive subject, and so we want to be sensitive to that. 48% of U.S. children are impacted, um, reported that they've had at least one traumatic experience, and that's only what's reported. So this trauma and sexual abuse, abuse, any type of abuse, is very, very underreported, um, very underreported. So out of 10 kids, one may report, and that's the statistics that we gather because that's all we know. But there's 10, nine other children that have had a traumatic experience. So this is just kind of the statistics we know of. You can go to the next one. So these are examples of traumatic experiences. So abuse, any type of abuse, neglect, physical abuse, um, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, of course, any type of abuse, um, abandonment. So if a child was left um, alone or their parents died or they left them, um, you hear of people being left at like firehouses or you know, just wherever, and they, other people have to take them, abandonment. Um, neglect, community, violence, so even bullying and things at school can be traumatic. Natural disasters, war, political violence, um, being or witnessing a violent accident, accident. So even just seeing something that was violent can very dramatically affect you. So a child witnessing a mom that's being abused by the dad, that's very traumatic to that child, and that's going to impact his life. Um, unexpected or violent death of someone close. So it could be a dad, it could be a grandma or grandpa, someone that helped raise them. That's very common in our industry. Um, many of them have lost parents or lost um, grandparents that raised them, and that's very traumatic to them. And it, when that anniversary comes every year, that's re-brought up. Um, so that can be very traumatic. Serious injury or life-threatening illness. So someone, even a child or an adult that's in the hospital a lot, especially a child, as they are going through, they don't really understand why they're in the hospital. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they have cancer. That can be very traumatic to, to them. Um, medical procedures, hospitalizations, domestic violence, and the list goes on and on. These are just examples. So these are a broad range of things that could happen to someone or someone that you know or someone that comes to this church. They could have had this happen in their past. And just knowing that these can be traumatic and it can affect them in different ways. Everyone is affected differently by situations and experiences. As a church, you may serve a list of these people. These are just the top list that I um, kind of came up with. So a widow that lost her husband. That is someone that you could serve in this church. Um, a child that lost their parents. A child that is in foster care. A mother that has lost a child. So whether it's a miscarriage or their child died, um, that can be traumatic. A woman that was abused as a child or is currently being abused. 
a man that is, um, had an alcoholic father growing up, so even just having that parent um, very unhealthy mentally um, as an alcoholic, that can be traumatic. A woman that has been raped, a child that has been neglected, a veteran that served in a war, a family that has lost their home from a hurricane, that can be traumatic. Um, a teenager that's bullied at school, a person that has chronic illness, a woman that has domestic violence going on at home. So all these are just examples of people that may come to your church. Um, and so recognizing that this, you may know lots of people that these, I could probably name one or more people for each of these things. And that's just off the top of my head. So it's a lot of people. Trauma affects a lot of people. Um, so when someone experiences trauma, they may behave or react in different ways. And so the one of the quotes that I read at the beginning, it may increase their risky behavior, smoking, drinking, um, engaging in risky sexual behaviors, which is what we see a lot. That's why a lot of the women that we serve, they're in the industry. I would say 100%, but I'll say 99% of the women we serve have had child abuse as a child, and it's led them, it has impacted them to lead them to this industry. Um, whether it was when they were 14, they started engaging in risky sexual behavior, that led them to, that's how they felt their worth, that led them to getting involved with someone that was unhealthy, that started pimping them out, that, I mean, it just goes on and on. So even if it happened when they were very little, it impacts even the, their adulthood. So these are some behaviors that you may see in someone that has experienced trauma. So their inability to self-regulate. They don't know how to handle their emotions. They're really high, they're really low, they're really emotional over little things or just any type of self-regulation and emotions. Um, relationship difficulties. They may have lots of relationships, lots of men in their life or lots of women in their life. Um, they may not be able to commit to relationships. That could be a big part of that. Learning difficulties. Many times, because the brain is so impacted by trauma, it stops developing. So if their trauma happened when they were a child, their brain slowed down. So they're not at the reading level or the writing level that a normal or a child that didn't have trauma is at. So it can stop that, which leads to not good jobs, right? You can't go to school. You don't graduate from high school. That's why they drop out. They don't, they get their GED, maybe, you know, things like that. And that then impacts their life, right? They're homeless or they don't make a lot of money or their kids aren't being fed. So it's just a spiral, a spiral effect. Um, and that a lot of times impacts the industry as well. We see a lot of women a lot of women that don't graduate high school. And, and that's okay, but that's one of the factors that's led them to being where they are now. And so that is a big factor with many people that have learning difficulties. Their inability to focus, um, that's a big one for people that have experienced trauma. Their minds are usually racing with other things or they're anxious or um, they're just not able to focus. For Scarlet Hope, my job was I was directly caring for the women in our program, and I was building that program um, to serve and care them in different ways. And so not just biblically, we did biblical study classes, um, but we also taught GED classes. We taught um, all kinds of classes, cooking classes, nutrition classes, life skills classes, because basic life skills are even usually not... Um, 
they're not well at basic life skills. Um, we taught all kinds of things. So one of the things in our classes, they are in classes and then they work at the bakery. And so in our classes, they are sitting there for an hour. Well, when they're sitting there for an hour, if they didn't graduate high school or they didn't you know, go further into their career, they haven't been in a classroom for years. So I would have a really hard time because they're not focused. They don't care. They don't want to do the work. They're not doing the homework. They're not doing anything. And it's like, what in the world? And then I remember this because they have had this trauma that they never were able to go further and they didn't have the ability to focus. And that's probably one of the factors that led them to not being doing well in school. And that could have prevented them from graduating. So keeping those things in mind when you're teaching, I don't know if you'll ever teach classes with trauma victims, but when you're teaching, that could be a factor. Uh, memory flashback issues. So they may have um, very vivid flashbacks and memories. I was in a training in Baltimore, um, and I was sitting next to a woman that was a human trafficking survivor, and she was working um, for the ministry that we were there for, um, and she was just sitting there, and somebody that was speaking hit their mic and made a big loud noise like that, and she dropped to the floor. Well, in her life, she probably heard gunshots or other loud noises, and that triggered her immediately, and she ran out the door. The, even little things. So the preacher's preaching, and he hits his mic, and somebody drops to the floor, starts wailing or runs out or screams because they're scared, recognizing that that could be a factor that they were triggered because of that noise. So things like that can happen anywhere. Procrastination, personal hygiene, lying, sleep issues, clumsiness, self-harm. A lot of that you'll see in different ways. A lot of times you think of self-harm as just cutting. Um, we see that a lot. Um, but it could be drugs. It could be anything that you're doing to your body purposely to harm yourself. Um, but recognizing that and seeing if you notice that someone's cutting or they are always wearing long sleeves in the summer, and that's not usually normal, especially in North Carolina because it's hot, um, recognizing those things, checking in with them and talking to them. And we'll get to how to care for them later, but that is definitely a sign of that. Um, emotional and psychological health issues. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about that. The next one, um, psychological effects of trauma. So many people that have experienced trauma, these are some of the things that they'll experience in their life. Um, Many times they have ADHD, they can't focus. They're very hyperactive, their minds won't shut off. They can't sleep because their minds won't shut off. Um, hyper arousal, so they are very heightened. Um, hyper is like up, so they're very anxious, they're very giddy, they can't sit still, they're tapping. They, they do this a lot in my classes. They would tap or shake their knee or fidget with things. So I bought them fidget toys because I don't care if they fidget. I don't care if they tap. If that's what helps calm their brain down so they can pay attention to me, let's let them do it. I don't care. So I would buy them fidget toys. I'd buy them stress balls. Um, anxiety, depression, those pretty much in everyone that I've cared for, they've had either anxiety, depression, most of the time both. Disassociation, so that's where you're, you disassociate, you disengage from where you are, so you're in a different reality, basically. Um, if you notice when someone is disassociating, they're kind of zoned out. That's kind of what it looks like. Sometimes you can't notice it. Um, many of the women in the clubs that we serve, they're disassociating from 
their reality in the club because they don't want to deal with what they're doing right then. So they kind of go into a different reality. They kind of go into a different personality sometimes. Um, impulsive and compulsion behaviors all the time. Um, many of the women that we serve are very impulsive. They make decisions very impulsively. They will go buy a $20,000 car when they can't pay their bills. Um, they will quit out of nowhere because they didn't like what I said to them. I mean, I could give you a list of things that they have done just from me personally um, interacting with them. Very impulsive. I've had many of them say they're going to quit. One of them was like, I wanted to punch you, but I didn't. And I was like, well, thank you. I don't care. Let's sit and talk about it. Um, low self-esteem. They will say, some, most of them will say they have very high self-esteem. We do a self-esteem um, assessment in my assessment with them, and I ask them what their self-esteem is. We talk about that. Many of them will be like, I'm a nine. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And then as we care for them and as the months go on, they're like, I can't stand myself. Like, I hate myself. And they feel shame and they feel guilt and they feel all of this. And they don't know what to do because that's what either the world's placed on them or people have placed on them or they, they've placed that on themselves. Um, and so many times their self-esteem is non-existent. Uh, high stress levels, that's all the time. Many of the women that we serve... I mean, every day is stressful. It's chaos because they've lived in chaos as a child. They are living in chaos now because it's comfortable, it's normal to them, and they don't want to get out of it. So even if they can get out of it, they usually go back to it. Um, when you work with someone that has been in an abusive home and you remove them from that home or you help them get out of it or as an adult you're helping them get out of an abusive relationship, they'll often go back to that because that's what's been normal to them and they know what to expect. They don't like things that they don't know what to expect. They don't like things out of their control. So if they know what they can expect, even if it's abuse, they're going to go back to that a lot of times. Um, so don't give up on them just keep pushing and keep pressing that um, and just be there even when they are it's very easy to be disappointed in them or not understand why and then you just kind of disengage from them because they're not listening to you but you have to understand what they've been through and what they have what they're used to and what they're comfortable with and that's a lot of times why they keep going back uh, PTSD and personality disorders are very common with people that have experienced trauma. And so people that have experienced trauma often, because they're engaging in all these things and they're doing all these things, um, they're often in poverty, they're often homeless, they're often um, in the strip clubs, but that's not all the people. They could be people that are very wealthy. They could be um, people that have grown up in very wealthy homes and their parents were still abusive or verbally abusive. Um, so it's not just that. That's what you see usually when you think of this, but it's not just them that have experienced trauma. It could be a veteran that has experienced trauma. It could be a woman and her husband cheated on him and then he's abusing her at home and they come from a wealthy life. It could be anyone. Anyone can be affected by trauma. Okay, so this is the picture of the brain. So on your left is the healthy brain. So this is a child's brain in a PET scan that shows normal activity. So the red is, that's the arousal, the activity in the brain. So this is a brain that is an, an abused child. 
There's not red. The most active is red, yellow. Green, purple, and black is not active. So you can see a lot of green. You see a ton of black and, a, and purple in the black. This is, this is a brain that has literally stopped developing. It is not just emotional. It's not just mental. It's so much physical that has happened to this child, this person, and it affects them for the rest of their life. The good thing is, and I don't know if it's next or not. No, it's not. Um, the beautiful thing is, is that this can heal. Your brain can literally heal. It can restore. You can bring activity back into that child's brain. Um, but it takes a lot of nurture. It takes a lot of care. It takes Jesus healing that person's life and removing that trauma, healing them from the sin that's happened to them. So there is hope for this. And we're going to get to that in a little bit as we talk about how to care for people that have experienced trauma. Um, if you will go to the next slide, this is a Ted talk and they only gave me an hour to talk which I don't even think I have an hour. Um, so I can't show this because it's 20 minutes, but this is an awesome video on the ACE study and childhood trauma. Nadine Burke is amazing. She explains it way better than I could ever explain it. Um, but I'm going to try my best and, and I'll go. But if you ever look this up, TED Talk Nadine Burke, childhood trauma, I would watch it. I really would. You can go to the next one. Okay, so what she was talking about in the video is the ACE study. And this is a study that was done on um, childhood trauma, so adverse childhood experiences. So this is a 10 questions questionnaire that they give, and it's anything that has happened to you under the age of 18. So 18 and below is what the questionnaire is geared towards. So any childhood adverse experience is what they study um, is about. So these... This study showed that many people that had a four or more on the ACE score, so four childhood traumas on the ACE score, were more likely to have health issues, risky health behaviors, chronic health conditions, low life potential, early death, and a whole array of other things. You can go to the next slide. This shows um, just kind of the pyramid of it. That. Um, Health risk behaviors, that's a lot of times are engaging in smoking, drinking, drugs, IV drugs, um, adverse, well, adverse childhood experience, disrupted neurodevelopment. That's a lot of um, what I was talking about earlier, how their brain literally has not developed properly, um, and even early death. So if they have a four or higher, the women that were serving at Scarlet Hope, 90% of them have an eight or a nine. That's a lot. That's it's only out of 10. So they almost have every single trauma. And that's only 10, 10 little, um, they're the main traumas that would affect you. But um, that's only 10 out of 10. So it's, it is, it's not a good thing. And so if I think about the women that I'm serving and I know that they have had 10 or 9 and I know these statistics that they are going to experience health conditions and heart disease and early death. It's, it's worth doing something about. You can get to the next one. Sorry, I don't usually get emotional on this one. Um, okay, so obesity, diabetes, depression, suicide attempts, STDs, heart disease, cancer, stroke, um, 
all of those things, smoking, alcoholism, all of those things. Even the life potential of graduation rates, oh, I'm on different, but that's okay, um, from work. The higher your A score, the more you're likely to have some of these things. So these are some of the health issues, depression, fetal death. Um, many times they are they have miscarriages um, because of their lifestyle or if they're on drugs, um, alcoholism, chronic um, obstructive pulmonary disease, all kinds of, these are just a lot of different health issues that they could um, experience. Adolescent pregnancy is a huge one. That's a huge one of what we see in our women. I have a woman in our program that is 26, I think she's 26, and she has six kids. I'm 27 and I have one. Like, she's six kids. She started very early in her life, but she has had so much sexual abuse, so much trauma, didn't grow up with parents, didn't have anyone mentoring or guiding her in any way, and she engaged in a lot of these behaviors. Um, ended up in the industry and now has six children. Now she's in our program though, and she is not in the industry and she is doing so good. She just had her sixth baby, so she's on um, maternity leave right now, but she's doing so good. She has a purpose, she has a hope, she has a changed life in the making. It's gonna be a journey, it's never just automatic. Okay, I'm gonna go to the next one. Um, so, this is um, just what I kind of already said. Um, most of the women at, the, at Scarlet Hope score between an 8 and a 10. Um, 100% of them have had at least one. Most, I would even say 100% have at least four. So four and higher is the risk. Um, I would say 100% of the women that we serve in our program have had four or more. Um, the ACE study found that survivors of childhood trauma are five thousand times likely, more likely, to attempt suicide, have eating disorders, or become IV drug users. That's a lot, 5,000 times more likely is a lot. I mean, I didn't even know that's possible to, to be. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And if you think about the people that we can reach, that we can maybe prevent that, prevent the attempts of suicide by overdosing or any other way, um, prevent the eating disorders, prevent IV drug users, or even we may engage them when they are doing these things or they have just attempted suicide. Um, how do we care for them? So the way that the ACE study works is you do the ACE questionnaire and then you do a resilience. So you can go to the next one. Um, so the resiliency is how they re recovered quickly from their trauma. Um, so we all have a resiliency score. Everyone has a resiliency score um, or resiliency in life. You are either very resilient or you're not very resilient. Um, but this questionnaire is out of 14. So 14 being the highest level of resiliency, a lot of times the girls are very resilient because they've made it through the trauma. If we're seeing them, they have made it through that trauma. Um, that doesn't mean they're not still experiencing it. That doesn't mean they're not still in it or they're going to be in it but they're still alive. Um, and so a lot of times their resiliency is high, but everyone can be more resilient. Um, and so building resiliency, you can go to the next slide, 
Um, these are ways to build resiliency, and this is what we want to do. This is one of the ways we can care for the people that are coming into our church, coming into our community. We can care for them and help them build that resiliency so they can continue to survive things that may happen in their life, and they can keep pressing on. Um, individuals need connection. They need strong relationships. One of the things that ways that the brain will heal itself is by connection, by community, by nurture, by relationships with people, safe people, not just any people, safe people that are building them up, encouraging them, and helping them move forward in their life. Not, um, not people that are just taking from them or using them. So they need strong relationships with caring and safe people. They need to feel connected. They need a positive environment. Um, they need a mentor or one person, even just one person that can walk with them through life. Even if it's post-trauma and they, they're not in it anymore, they are not dealing with it anymore, and they're walking through life, they're still going to be impacted by that for the rest of their life. Well, that still will be a piece that they have been impacted by. But they don't have to be defined by that. They aren't defined by that. Jesus, as if they come to know Christ, and that's our hope, is to lead people to Christ. Jesus defines them, not that trauma, not the sin that they have experienced or what has been done to them. It is by Jesus and Jesus only that they can move forward and they can be transformed. And literally, even their brains can be transformed. So they may need just one person. They may need a lot of people. Um, but you could be the one person to walk with them and help them keep pushing on in their life. Having their strengths and gifts recognized. So as a church, we can do this. Using their gifts. If they are a great singer, let's use their gifts. Highlighting their gifts and their talents. Bringing their strengths to light and utilizing them. Maybe they're a really great greeter. Put them at greeting. Use them in some way. Maybe they're a great cook. Use them in cooking. Help them to get engaged with your community as a church. Help them to um, see their strengths. They may think they're, they're not good at anything. They have nothing good. They have nothing, um, no talents, no gifts. Help recognize them in that. You see them caring for their daughter or picking her up when she falls. Point that out in her. Say, you are such a good mom. You love your daughter. You cared for her so well in that. Point those things out. Build those things up. Recognize them. They need that. We all need that. Um, we can do that as a church. Feeling like they have a sense of control. Um, they don't like when they don't know what's going on. So in your churches, make sure you make it a point. Like if they're new and you maybe have met them outside and you've invited them in, and you know what they've gone through, tell them, we sing first, and then we're going to do communion, or we're going to do this. Let them have that sense of knowledge so they feel like they have control over what's going to happen. When they don't know what's going to happen next, they get very antsy, they start fidgeting, they get very worked up, their blood pressure is raising, their heart rate's raising, and they may not sit in their seat, they may leave. Um, because they're so anxious. So let them know. Say, we're going to sing first, and then we usually do communion, and then we're, he's going to talk, um, and then we're going to dismiss, or whatever it is. Give them like a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen. That's just one way that you can feel. Let them know where things are. Show them around. Show them where the bathrooms are. Show them where the rest of the building is, just so that they know where the exits are. That's very important. If someone that has been physically abused um, comes in here, or even any type of drama, comes in here and they don't know how to get out of here, which it's very clear in this 
building. There's lots of exit points. I've already know, I know where they all are. Um, make sure they know. If you're in a different place, if you're in the fellowship hall, make sure they know exactly how to get out. Um, because they may need to get out. They may feel very overwhelmed at some point in this sermon, maybe they're, or whatever they're doing, and they may need to get out. And that's okay. That's okay. Let them get out. Maybe go, you know, walk after them. Just sit with them outside or something. Just tell them, you know, we'll see you next week or something like that. Um, be comforting. Don't be, don't put shame on them for walking out or being like, you need to get back in here. Don't do that. But um, let them know so they have a sense of control. They know how to get out. They know where they're going. They know what's going to happen. Um, and they feel like they, they can do this. They know. They know what's expected. Um, and a sense of belonging to a community or group. So make them feel welcome. Welcome them. One of the things that I cannot stand about some churches um, is the, the clickiness one. But even when new people come in, um, they don't, they're not welcomed. They, the women we serve, I'll, I'll bring it back to them. The women we serve are very hyper, um, sensitive to how people have welcome them. And so you may think you welcome them by saying, hi, you know, hi, you know, but if no one actually just shook their hand or said hello, um, maybe that's uncomfortable. Maybe just saying, hi, my name's Kaylee, showing interest in them. They may not have felt welcome. Um, so they need to feel a belonging so they don't walk out these doors and think, well, no one was nice to me. No one, you know, welcomed me. Um, but make them feel apart. Make them feel that they are welcome back. Come back. We want you here. Um, so that they can start to feel that. And they may have never experienced that. So many of the women that we serve, they have never experienced someone that has loved them without wanting anything from them. Everybody in their life wants something from them. Everybody wants to use them and pull whatever they can get. And then if they stop getting something from them, they leave them. Don't make them feel like that. Make them feel like, I'm going to love you and I don't want anything from you. It's unconditional. I don't want anything from you. You may not love me back. And that's what I tell a lot of the girls. I'm like, I don't care. I love you. But I don't care if you don't love me back right now. It's okay. Maybe you'll never love me back. That's okay. But I love you because Jesus loves you and he died for you and you are worth knowing. Make them feel known. They want to feel known. People want to feel known. You want to feel known. If you were in here and no one ever even acknowledged you or said hello to you or knew your name, you probably wouldn't be sitting here. You can go to the next one. So triggers. Knowing that people that have had tra trauma in their past, um, they could be triggered by anything. It, it, it is really anything. It could be a smell, sound. It could be a color. It could be a car. It could be anything. It could be a sensation. It could be an event. It could be a situation, a place, a sound, people. Um, it could be anything. Um, triggers are, are the reactions to trauma reminders. And so these are some of the trauma reminders, things, events, situations, places, sensations, smells, sounds, people, etc. It could be anything. Uh, one of the women that we serve, she, we hired her as our front desk little secretary, and she buzzes people in. Well, she's sitting there buzzing people in, and she was triggered back to when she was in the club buzzing people in. And that sound, just the sound of the buzz was the same sound of the buzz at the club. And so she went back there. And she's a little more 
out of her um, trauma, and so she was able to handle it and not run, because that's a lot of the time our response to or triggers are flight, flight, freeze, um, submit, attach. There's another one. Ah. Anyways, um, so a lot of times we'll run. Um, but she didn't. She just, you know, recognized that that's what that brought back, that memory. But it could be someone's smell. It could you walk past um, somebody and that smell of your cologne triggered the smell of their abuser's cologne and they instantly are brought back to that memory and they can't handle it. It's overwhelming to them. The memories, the sensations, the thoughts, the images, all of that is brought back to them and they are triggered in that moment. So people that are new in recovery in their trauma, they, they usually can't deal with the triggers very well, um, so they may leave. And that's okay. Um, if you know that they were triggered, or you may not know that they were triggered, but you, you recognize that something happened, something was not right, you know, go ask them about it, or just say, hey, I care about you, and I, I noticed that you struggled in that moment. Is there anything I can do, or how can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? Um, different things like that, but recognizing that people can be triggered by anything. There's things that are out of our control. You can't control that your cologne triggered her memory of her abuser, but you can control how you respond to that. Um, you can control different things. So, even our building, um, the light colors, feeling openness. This is a good trauma-informed building. Um, there is a questionnaire that facilities can do. We've done it um, to make sure our, our facilities trauma-informed. So the words on the wall, are they words of encouragement or are they words kind of that somebody would take as shame? Um, would they trigger someone? Are they... You know, even just the words on the wall can be triggering. Knowing the sound smells. Um, when I worked in the hospital, we weren't allowed to wear perfume or cologne because it could be a trigger. Um, it could also just irritate them. Um, different things like that. So even the shirts that people wear could be triggers to people. Um, but just knowing the things that you can control. The, the areas of the church that maybe are not um, easy access or something, don't take them there. If someone is coming in, if you, um, if someone that you know was abused last night or raped last night and they're coming because they need to talk to someone, don't take them back in the back hallways of things. Take them somewhere open near a door, near an exit, and, and have it be a safe place for them. They need safety. They need comfort. They need to feel secure. Um, and so really being mindful of those is how another way you can, as a facility, be trauma-informed. And that's a, that's a big thing. I can get you that um, questionnaire and you have someone else that's not part of your facilities. They go through and they check off, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Um, so that's just another thing. But the phrase, do no harm, we don't want to do harm. Um, and so being mindful. And the, one of the first things is recognizing that people have experienced trauma and they may be triggered by things. So that's, one, that's how you can start. Okay, so caring for individuals out of experienced trauma. Um, this is a journey. It's not simple. It's not easy. 
like one, two, three, you're done. It's, it's a journey. Um, but pick, so these are some examples of things you can do. Picking up on their triggers. If you know and are caring for someone, you're discipling someone, um, and you know that they are very triggered by storms. That could be a, a trigger. Um, if there's a storm coming, you know, make sure you're caring for them. Hey, there's a storm going to come in. Do you want me to drive you home? Or do you want me to go with you home? Or something like that. I don't know. Just recognizing whatever their trigger is. Um, and as you build relationships, you're going to start picking up on their triggers. The women that we serve, I automatically assume all of them are triggered by men. We had a woman who had a seizure, and I was on the ground holding her, so she wasn't banging her head on the wall. Um, and I had someone else call 911. When they got here, four men came. I told them to stop. Don't come. Don't come to her because when she comes out, she's very violent. I knew that. And so I knew she was going to be triggered by them, and so I asked them to stop. There was one paramedic that came in that was a woman, and I told her um, afterwards, don't they she does not want to be touched by them um this is who we are this is what we do and this is the situation so when you take her to the hospital please you be the only one that is touching her um and they respected that and so that's that's another way i knew that was going to trigger her i didn't want her to start fight literally punching me because she would um and she was a lot bigger than me um and she was feisty i mean that's how she came out of her seizures um, and that's a lot of the women that we serve. They've had to fight to survive, and so they fight, and it's not usually nice. Um, okay, so viewing the individual through a trauma-informed lens. So knowing, recognizing their trauma. Trauma-informed care is instead of what's wrong with you, you ask what has happened to you. It's not what's wrong with them, what they're doing. It's what's happened to you. How can I care for you? How can I love you well in that? So viewing them through that. We're not here to judge. Oh, can you go back to the other slide? Thank you. Um, can you all see that? Okay, sorry. We're not here to judge them. Initiate with understanding. When you are talking with them, when, if they tell you something that's sensitive, initiate with understanding. If, they are, if you've cared for them for a long time and they go back to their pimp or they go back to their drugs or whatever, don't go back to them or get connected to them and give them you know, your disappointment or put their, your shame on them. Initiate with the understanding. Like, okay, I get it. I understand is this where you want to stay? Because I want to help you if you want, to, if you want help. Because people that don't want help, they're not going to take the help. Um, we're not here to judge. That's a hard one. It's hard. It's very quick to just put our judgment on people. Even when we don't put it on them and we're just thinking it, we're still treating them like that. Um, don't label them by their behaviors. One of the things that somebody said about one of my girls, and I'm very protective over our girls, is they're just an angry person. No, they're not. They may have anger. That's an emotion. But that's not a definition of who they are. They don't have to stay that way. That doesn't have to define them. They may experience anger, and they may have that, but that's not who they are. So don't label them by their behaviors. Recognize a behavior and who they are. And who they are is a daughter or a son of Jesus Christ. That's who they are. 
It's not anything else. It's not their drugs. It's not their, oh, they're a drug user. Oh, they're a prostitute. Oh, they're this. That the Prostitution is what they're doing, but that's not who they are. Okay, I'll, I'll leave it at um, Don't, okay. Be sensitive to the unknown. There is so much we don't know about people, um, and there's a lot under the surface. So think of it as an iceberg. We may only know the tip of it, We may not know anything underneath the surface. So you may hear part of someone's story. You may hear part of the trauma that they've experienced. My dad was abusive as a child, but then maybe they had other abuse. Their grandfather sexually abused them or other things that they don't want to talk about right now. That may be under the water. Don't don't just assume you know everything about their trauma. Um, Be sensitive to the unknown. Be um, able to be comfortable talking to them about it and understanding. Um, Initiate conversation. If they feel safe to, they will want to talk to you. But if they don't feel safe with you, they're not going to talk. And that's okay because it takes a lot of time to build trust. There are women that I've been talking to in the clubs for years, and they will say, Hi, how are you? Oh, yeah. I'll be like, How's your babies? And they're like, They're good. And then one day, once they trust me, they may tell me, yeah, my, my child was sick today. Or I had to take him to the hospital because he got hurt or something. Like, it may go a little bit deeper. So understanding it takes time to build trust. Um, do I, am I running out of time? Um, okay, attune to their emotional needs. Be, be aware if they're emotional, if they're having a rough day, if they're angry, that's an emotion. Um, if they're angry, be aware of that. What's making you angry? Why are you angry? It's okay to be angry. That's an emotion. Jesus was angry. He flipped over tables in the temple. He was mad. And, and they may have a reason to be mad. It's what they do with the anger that matters. And when they're walking with Christ, that's when we want to walk with them and disciple them in that way. But if they're not a believer, they're not going to walk that way. So being understanding that they may have anger and they may need more attention to help them deal with that anger. Support their interests. So a woman comes and she is a victim of domestic violence, but she brings her kids and she's showing up every day. What do they like to do? Maybe they love to go to the park. Go to the park with them after church or go to the park with them during the week. Find something that they like to do and do that with them. Walk with them. Disciple them. Show up in their life. I'm going to get to that actually. Um, praise their positive behaviors and choices. So this kind of sounds childish, but I don't mean it like, oh, good job. I mean, like, you see them, they went to their child's mother-daughter dance or something. Praise that. You love your daughter so much that you went, and that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so, like, that's so cool. I want to do that for my daughter one day. Um, praise their positive behaviors. They show up for work. You may have, in in your own lives, you may work with people that have had trauma. So it's not just in the church, but you may have um, work with people. Or you may be a boss of someone. Praise that positive behavior. When the girls show up every week, we give them toiletry bags. Because they usually don't show up every week. And so that was an incentive to help um, highlight that. It takes a lot for them to get there. So in the mornings... Some of our girls who have four or five children, they don't have a car, they live 30 minutes away, they have to get on a bus, take their child to to daycare, 
and then get on another bus and come to work. That's a lot of work. I just have to get in my car and drive to work. And I sometimes have a hard time getting to work on time. That's a lot of work. So praise them for even getting there. I wouldn't know if I would do it every day. I mean, I really wouldn't. Praise them for that. Show them that you are proud of them, even just for coming. Maybe they come two Sundays in a row. That's awesome. I love that you're here. Okay, let me go to the next one. I'll spend all day on this stuff. Um, Okay, so this is what I was talking about. Trauma-informed care shifts from what's wrong with you to what has happened to you. And it it really... um, Oh, I'm on the wrong one. Can you go back one? Oh. Okay, I don't know where that side is. Anyways, okay. Um, This is one I'm on. Okay, it may be the next one. What's the next one? No, I don't know where where this slide is on that one. Okay, so this is SAMHSA. SAMHSA is a company or a nonprofit organization, government organization, actually. Um, And they do a lot of research and studies, and they give a lot of resources. Um, Clinical, most of it is. But these are their six key principles to working with trauma. So safety, knowing someone's safe, and that's these are all things you can do here. These are things you can think about here, how you're going to respond to these things. So safety, is this place feel safe to people? Do people feel safe when they come here? Trustworthiness, do they trust you? Do they trust the people in this church? Do they trust the elders? Do they trust the pastor? Do they trust the people in the pews? Do they trust you? Transparency, are we being transparent with them or are we being fake with them? These are just the six key principles that we want to do. In a church, we want to be transparent. We want um, to let them know what is going to happen even in just Sunday mornings. Peer support, are we working as a community? Are we engaging as a community? Are we engaging them? Are we bringing them into our community? Or are we just inviting them, but they're they're over here and we're still over here? Collaboration and mutuality. Do they have a voice? That's in the next one, empowerment and voice and choice. Do they have a voice? Do they get to sit um, here with us and have a voice? Do they get um, a choice? Do they get empowered? The cultural and historical, recognizing that there are cultural differences between us and my neighbor or someone else in our church. There are cultural and historical differences. There are gender issues. There are things that are different about each of us. Um, Recognizing that, for me, for us at Scarlet Hope, my cultural difference is I didn't grow up like they did. I didn't grow up without a mom and a dad. I didn't grow up in poverty. I didn't grow up like they did. I didn't grow up in abusive home. I don't understand that. And so recognizing that and understanding or telling them, I, I don't understand, but I will love you and I will be here for you. I don't know what you're going through, but I will be here for you. I don't know what that was like. I don't know what I don't know what you're feeling right now, but I'm going to sit with you. Recognizing that there's differences and that we don't all come from the same place. We don't all have the same mentality about things either. And so gender issues and that's a whole other subject for the church, but knowing that people that come that have had whatever background, they may not see what we see or what we see. But as they walk with Christ, we want to teach that. We want to teach what the Bible says about that. Okay, we'll go to the next one. 
So trauma competence. So how can we be competent in trauma? These are the four R's. Realize that trauma is widespread, that it affects a lot of people. Recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma, so knowing what we just talked about. Respond. How are we going to respond to this? What are we going to do now? When you, you now know this information, what are you going to do from here? How are you going to respond to this? Are you going to implement this trauma-informed as a church, as a culture, as a community? What's the feeling here when people come that have had trauma? Seek to actively resist re-traumatization. That's a huge thing. We can re-traumatize someone in a second, and we don't want to do that. It may, sometimes it's inevitable. Some things are just, it just happens. Where our office is located, next door used to be her drug house. That, that sent her back to that place where she was years ago. We can't really help that because this is our office, but how do we respond to that and help her work through that so she can come to work every day? We may not have a lot of control over it, but there are definitely things that we can control and we do not want to re-traumatize. And judging, putting shame on people, even questioning what they're doing, all those things, that can re-traumatize somebody really quickly. People need your compassion, and they need to see God's peace. They need peace. They've never had peace. They don't know what peace is. They don't know what stillness is. I love yoga, and so I teach yoga with the girls. They cannot sit there. It's hard for me to sit there, but they cannot sit there. It is hard. They never have sat. They've never had silence. They've grown up in chaos. They don't know what that peace is, and they need peace. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Philippians 4, 7, remember that verse. What kind of trauma do we see in the Bible? So I'm going to run through these really quickly. We have seen all kinds of trauma in the Bible. It is literally throughout the whole Bible. We see murder. We see rape. We see natural disasters. We see violence. We see a lot of war. We see a lot of chronic illness, losing loved ones, death. I mean, Jesus above everything, what he went through is traumatic. What Mary had to see as his mother, if you watched your son go through that, that's traumatic to Mary. So how, I mean, we don't know all the things that happened after that. We don't know how Mary was and how she handled the trauma. I wish we did. I wish we knew all those details. We don't know, but but it's traumatic. Tamar, who was raped in 2 Samuel, that's traumatic. We don't know all the details after what happened to her after, what her emotional state was. The stoning, oh, I spelled stoning wrong. Stoning the woman that was caught caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery, yes. She was in her sin, but she was stoned. Well, almost stoned. Jesus stopped them. But she was going to be. Imagine watching your family go through that. Imagine if she had a loved one that was there and was about to watch her get stoned. How traumatic that is. Losing loved ones, I mean, that's all the way in a lot of areas, but Lazarus, Mary of Bethany and Martha, losing Lazarus and then seeing him raised. But um, all throughout the Bible, there's trauma. I wish we knew all the details about how um, they worked through their trauma or whatever, but that's not how the Bible is, so (laughs) that's okay. Um, The next slide. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. There is hope for the broken. There are hope for these people. And the hope is Jesus Christ. And this is the place that is going to give them that hope. This is the place that they can come and receive the hope that only Jesus can give them. Only Jesus can heal them from their, from their trauma, from the sin that was on them and done to them. That's the only one that can heal. So this has to be a refuge for them. I think I have this in the next slide. Um, the next slide has some steps. So share the good news. Share about Jesus. Share Jesus with them. Give them that hope that they don't have to be defined by what has happened to them, that they don't have to be a victim of child abuse. And then, you know, a lot of times this movement without Jesus is they were a victim and then they're a survivor and then they're defined by the, I'm a survivor. Yes, you survived this, but that's not all you are. You are daughter of Christ. That's not all you are. Share that good news. Share Jesus died for them and they can be freed from their bondage because that is bondage. All those symptoms of trauma and everything they experience, the anxiety and depression, they can be freed from that. Jesus can heal them, can heal their brains from the depression, can heal them from anxiety, can heal them. He, there's healing all through the Bible. He can heal them. Walk with them. Don't let them just come and go. Walk with them. Hold their hand. They're going to need you to hold their hand. They may not always need you to hold their hand, but they will for a while. Show up for them in all seasons. Sorry, I don't know why it gets so sad. Show up for them in all seasons. Be there from when it gets hard and they're tough or they're not coming to church. Be there for them anyways because we want them back here. We want them to be back here. Be with them through it all. Love them unconditionally like Jesus loved us. Even when they fall back into their sin, because they will. I have had many, many women I've walked with and walked with, and we've went through all seasons, and they fall back into the, the industry or back to their pimp or back to the drugs. But it's still, you still show up for them, and you still love them, and when they come back, you still pursue them, and you don't hold that against them. You keep going with them because until the Lord takes them home or, or they aren't here, you still have a chance to free them and help them get freed from them. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus heals. We're going to watch a video from Brene Brown. It is a very funny kind of, it's a little cartoon, but it's a, it's a funny, um, not funny, it's kind of cool about empathy and how that's different from sympathy, how empathy is entering into their world, um, not just being like, I see your pain, I'm so sorry for you, but you sit with them. So I don't know if this was convicting for you, but it was for me for in a couple different ways. I've remembered things that I've said to the girls when I've been stuck in like stressful weeks or I was so busy running to a meeting and I stopped to talk to them for a second and they told me something that happened to them that week and I was like I'm really sorry at least you know whatever so this is this is what we want we want to be empathetic with people not sympathetic we want to enter into their world not just be like I'll stand over here but I'll be here for you maybe um, one of the other things she said in there was 
taking on the vulnerability. Sometimes when we um, are working with people or we meet someone and they've gone through something, the Lord can use our story to help them and to help them come to know Him. Um, We may not have the exact same story, but all of our stories um, are different. And they may have similarities that you may meet someone that you've gone through what they've gone through, and the Lord can use you in their life. Um, to bring you them to Him. And so use those opportunities. Be empathetic with people. Sit with people. Enter into their worlds. Um, and as a church, I hope that this helps. I hope this was informative. I hope that you even just got one little thing out of it um, and that you can even just a different perspective if you just even go to church on Sunday and you just look around the room differently and you see people through a trauma-informed perspective or knowing that they may have so much going on in their life at home and they may never tell anybody about it. Maybe you can reach out to them. Maybe you can even just say hi to them and talk to them about their week um, and open the door for them to have someone. Um, We don't want to go through this life alone. We're not meant to be alone. God created us for community. We have community. The church is the body of sinners that have been saved by God's grace, and they need God's grace, but they also need his hope and his love, and we are vessels that can give that to them.